The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Inspired, informed, motivated, and recharged on radio's favorite power hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Every day is a stellar day on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Let's get this party started. Cynthia will be back to kick it all off after this break. You'll find all you need in the light that shines. Believe in yourself Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, hello, party partners. Welcome to Star Style and the greatest hour of power. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And we are here with you every single week, bringing you the authors, the experts, and lots of great talk right here where the world comes to talk. Well, all across America, every February 14th, candy cards, flowers, jewelry, they're exchanged between lovers, all in the name of St. Valentine. But who was St. Valentine, and why have we made him so commercial? Well, Heather and I are going to be giving you the backstory, the inside scoop, in just a minute. In our segment two, why are kids so hypersexualized? What is going on in America today? Parents can learn to develop the skills to recognize the influences that the media has and the knowledge to counteract and do something about it. When author Jim Wright comes to on our show with his book, The Sexualization of America's Kids, he draws on 22 years as a therapist. He's worked with over a 1,000 teens, and he really has something important to say. And then finally, a story that is very moving and very pertinent, a book called Just Like Us by new author Helen Thorpe is a powerful, moving, true account of four young women from Mexico who have lived most of their lives here in the United States, went to the same high school, but only two of them are legal and two of 
them have no documentation, and we're going to talk about what it's like to be an immigrant and what's going on with the immigration laws here in America. So all coming up right here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. So sit back, grab your cup of tea, and enjoy the show because we always have a lot for you. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Carmony Clutches. Handmade handbags, the perfect gift for every woman you know. Visit CarmonyCollection.com. That's Carmony with a K, Collection with a K, CarmonyCollection.com, or call 925-785-7827. And it was the Dalai Lama who said this, Be kind whenever possible, and it's always possible. I like this. Love is definitely in the air. Well, St. Valentine's. Okay, it's February, and we're always thinking about who is this mysterious saint? Why do we celebrate this holiday? I mean, there's the history of Valentine's Day and its patron saint, and it's really shrouded in mystery. So what do we know about February being the month of romance, and what do we know about St. Valentine? Well, I know, Heather, you are going to illuminate us with some of the vestiges of both the Christian and ancient Roman traditions, so take exactly. it away. You know, and it was really interesting when I was looking into this of how, I mean, it, it's kind of had several things, how they weren't really saying it was one person, that Valentine was this historic name, and that he was a Roman uh, priest, and he was a martyr, and, you know, looking into it, I found so many different various accounts of all these different people, all these different, these mythical things that he had done. And, but one thing that seemed to um, be a reoccurring thing is that um, him being why, why love is associated with them is that he was marrying um, Christian couples. And otherwise, during this time, um, the Christians were being persecuted and that it was illegal to marry these. And so there was these young lovers and so he, um, believing in the sanctity of marriage, uh, was marrying people illegally. And so, well, and do you know what the background to that was, Heather? This is something I think is you probably going to say, it, but it's so interesting. Is what had really, uh, well, according to history, you know, what had happened there is that Emperor Claudius the exactly. decided that Claudius, single men yeah. made better soldiers. And he didn't like young men getting married. So he felt that if a single man was, was not married, he didn't have any wife or kids, he, was, he would be, he'd go to the death. He would do anything for the emperor. So he actually outlawed marriage. And then when these, uh, these uh, soldiers realized, you know, this injustice of this, they went to Valentine, who decided he performed the marriages in secret. Yeah, and something that was, you know, heart-wrenching about with Claudius, he liked, you know, he, he really took a liking to um, Valentine, but uh, Valentine tried to convert him, and eventually um, he had him killed, and not just, you know, stoned. He had him stoned, clubbed, and then eventually beheaded. I know. So um, kind of the opposite of love and Valentine. But something that was so interesting to me, is, and what you're saying is, how does something become so commercialized? Just as we celebrate Easter or Christmas, these things that start off, um, you know, based on, you know, an, an historical event that really has nothing to do with, you know, selling and giving, how things become, we create mystical creatures with them. It becomes a commercialized buying gift, doing this, doing that. And our family, we've always been big that Valentine's Day is special, but really, you know, you should make every day Valentine's Day. I think people put way too much stress on themselves of trying to create or do something nice for someone on Valentine's Day. And that shouldn't be an excuse to make it the one time of the year that, you know, you buy your girlfriend flowers or tell them you love them. Make that every day so that then the Valentine's Day, the big hurrah of it, it's just an extra special day. And um, something you were talking about, the commercialization of this, I was looking into it and finding out how much we spend, what we do, and I found some really kind of interesting facts about what Valentine's Day has come. Um, each year on Valentine's Day, more than one billion Valentine's cards are exchanged. One billion? Wow. Billion. Wow. Um, women purchase 85% of Valentine's Day cards, while men purchase 73% of flowers and uh, chocolates. Chocolates and flowers are two among um, the most popular things. 
Uh, when um, in the order of giving Valentine's Day, the popularity is given to teachers, children, mothers, wives, uh, sweethearts, as in girlfriends and boyfriends. And then what I thought was hilarious is pets. About 3% of pet owners will give Valentine's gifts or cards to their pets. Oh, are you giving <laughs> something to Dolce? Oh, maybe a maybe a bone. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that the dog would be excited for a card. Yeah, I, I think maybe a bone I, might be a good idea. People fascinate me. And something I thought actually was really neat was um, in the Italian city of Verona, uh, that's where Shakespeare wrote about his lovers, Romeo and Juliet. And every Valentine's very Day, favorite, about, and most people's most people's favorite, I imagine. Yeah, um, and w- each year they say about 1,000 letters come in on Valentine's Day addressed to Juliet. So, I and, and where do they go? Does it say? Where, does, where do they go? No, just into the city of Verona. So I don't know if that means, you know, the town hall or what, but they have um, records of it every year. I think it's, you know, similar to how people write, you know, to their Santa. letters to Santa or their letters to God, you know, that... Um, these you know letters are collected by the postal service and, and tracked. That is that is very interesting, very interesting. Well, you know, there you're talking about Romeo and Juliet. I think that's uh, an interesting thing. If we look at not just Valentine's, but who are some of the most romantic people in history? You know, who are some of the people that had these you know, long relationships or? or were celebrated for many different partners. I mean, when I think about that, I think of um, Mary Shelley and um, um, uh, is it Byron, you know. Lord Byron, it was the romantic poets. I just thought that they were very, they would have enjoyed Valentine's Day, it seems, you know, um, with Pierce Shelley and Mary, Mary Shelley. Or, or what about, um, what about, King Henry VIII, although he wasn't very romantic, he chopped off the head of his wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think maybe how about Edward VIII, because he was the Prince of Wales, and he uh, married Wallace Simpson, and he actually gave up being king so that he could stay married to her. Uh, yeah, so that might be somebody. And who else would be of interest? What about Elizabeth Taylor? How many times has she been married? <laughs> I think she was married, is she married seven, maybe she's as much as Henry VIII, something mm-hmm. like that. So oh, what are some of the things that most people do on Valentine's Day? They go out to eat, they, what, is, what are some of the holiday, what are some of the things that are done? Well, actually what, something I was just about to cover was the different superstitions of Valentine's Day. It being such a day, you know, it's one of the most popular years that um, people get, or time of year that people get engaged um, you know, the conception is created. Um, but when looking at the different superstitions, it's so funny um, the things I find that have changed over time. One was if you cut an apple in half, the number of seeds found inside the fruit will indicate the number of children you have. Or if you see... Oh, that's a, a good one. And then there's this whole thing regarding birds on uh, the kind of birds you see. If you see a sparrow, it means you're going to mar- marry a poor man. Or if you see an owl, it means you're going to remain a spinster. A bluebird means you're going to marry a happy man. And I'm not, I don't even know what kind of bird this is. A crossbill means you're going to have an argumentative man. And also there was one that said if you see a squirrel in the road on Valentine's Day, it means you're going to marry a cheapskate who holds oh. all their money. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. That is really funny. Well, hmm. So which one would be a really good person? Which, which bird did they blue say? bluebird. It means you're going to marry a happy man. Happy. Okay. So we need to have a bluebird. Can it be a blue jay? I don't know. I didn't make the traditions. <laughs> I don't wonder. You know, one thing, um, you know, I, I really encourage people to do is that something I still always love doing is as a kid, if you remember in classes, you'd make those little boxes and everyone would make um, little Valentines for each other. And it was kind of that thing of sharing and making everyone feel special. And now a lot of people seem to have these anti-Valentine parties or feel really lonesome if they don't have someone on that day. Still take a few. If you don't have a date, do something fun, you know, with the girls or hanging with the guys. Or if your family is close by, plan a dinner 
or get involved. There's so many fun activities you do. And don't let this thought of it being this commercialized um, day of love bring you down. You know, it's a really great time if we talk about other things about. We recently did um, a show regarding heart health about how just laughing and hanging out with good friends uh, makes you healthier. So instead of staying home and pouting and, and feeling like, oh, you don't have a Valentine, create a Valentine, do some fun activities, get together, have a girls' night, have that anti-Valentine party, do something really fun um, that makes you realize you know, that every day can be Valentine's Day and fun activities. For everyone at work, I made everyone personalize little Valentines that Seemed a little funny and childish, but it was really, you know, it made people feel special. It made people feel fun. Well, so. you know, I think you hit on something. I think no matter what age we are, we always want to feel special. And when somebody remembers us with a cute little handmade card, it means a great deal. I mean, it shows a lot of respect, and it, and it shows that you care and that you were thinking about the person. So that is such a great idea. And, yes, getting back to, I'm actually working on the letter for Be the Star You Are Charity now, and I'm talking about heart healthy. And, you know, just to remember that the month really is about love, but it's also about taking care of yourself and do take care of your heart and do exercise and do make sure to spend time with friends and laugh a lot because the more that you do, the healthier and happier you will be. And then also I just wanted to let our listeners know as kind of a special gift to everybody, they can order a copy of my ebook. Uh, that is called The Blessings of Love and Relationships, and it's only 49 cents at Amazon.com. So all you've got to do is go to Amazon.com, click on books, type in The Blessings of Love and Relationships by Cynthia Bryan, and for 49 cents you can get great inspiration and you can increase the love in your life. And that's not just romantic love, but just having good relationships as well and, and uh, having a great family and just having some good open communication. So, Heather, this is, uh, this is always great to remember the love because I always want to say love is the answer to all our questions. Give out the website if you would. Most definitely. We want you to go to BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.com. MySpace.com forward slash Carmony Clutches, both with a K, and the Carmony Collection.com. And that Carmony is with a K. Carmony and Collection, both with a K. Well, when we return from break, we're going to be addressing the sexualization of America's kids with author J.E. Wright. It's something that is really important to talk about. The book is definitely one that everyone is going to want to have on their bookshelf and be able to open up with their families. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. Don't go away. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the star you are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are dot org. Now, back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, thank you for staying with us. Every week, Star Style, Be the Star You Are brings you the authors and the experts that help you live a better life, a more fulfilled life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity with a mission to increase positive media, improve literacy, and offer tools for living. Because every day when we open the newspapers, turn on the television, we are bombarded with a plethora of negative images, violence, and provocative sexual storylines. Kids are becoming anesthetized to these impressions, and the result has influenced behaviors that are harmful to healthy relationships. J.E. Wright has been a family therapist for over 22 years, working with over a 1,000 kids and families. He has written a, just a, an incredibly wonderful book, The Sexualization of America's Kids and How to Stop It. Welcome, Jim, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you. As I already have told you, I really think this book is so important. It's so in line with the message of Be the Star You Are. And if we want our children to grow into knowledgeable, caring, respectful adults, we really have to open the communication lines and offer some great role modeling. And in your book, you discuss the sexualized focus of the media and the destructiveness that is happening in our kids today, which you see every single day in your practice. What's, what's going on, Jim, and what has changed in the last, you know, 20 years that have created this kind of, um, the, kids, the, the way that kids are thinking right now and then behaving, the acting out? Have we just gotten too lenient? Well, I think the other part of it, too, Cynthia, is that the birth of the Internet has just opened up so much more for kids to view without parental supervision as well as their cell phones and texting, all of those things are hitting kids much more frequently than they used to um, earlier on, like in the 80s, 70s, 60s. Well, and also, I think, too, because, and you mentioned this, is that with, with uh, both parents working or the proliferation of single-family, uh, single-parent uh, homes, their kids don't have a lot of supervision either. Yes, and that's what happens. That's why these kids can get on the Internet or do their texting and all that. I always recommend to the parents that I see, you tell your teenagers that I will look at the history on the computer along with putting safety valves on it, and I will look at your texting. I'll try not to read the details, but I am going to look it over to make sure that you are being safe. And it may not be, it's not that I don't trust you, it's that I don't trust people that might be coming at you with certain things. Well, this, you know, you have many case histories here in your book. The book is The Sexualization of America's Kids and How to Stop It. And I found it so sad as I was reading some of these, how these young kids don't even understand that what they're doing is wrong. I mean, I, you know, they don't have that whole feeling that it doesn't feel right. You had one example of a young girl who was babysitting three kids and did some very inappropriate things, and she didn't really realize that she had done anything wrong. Yes, and I think that comes from a combination of two things. One, that she's just saturated by the sexualized media, hearing her peer group talk about all these dares that are going on, and she hasn't got a close relationship with her mother or father, so that things are not talked about that are personal and important to address with a teenager or a, a preteen for that matter. And this seems to be the underlying current in, in so many of the issues of kids is they're getting their information from friends, they're getting it from television and movies, they're getting it from magazines, they're getting it from the Internet, and most of the information or a majority of it is inaccurate information, and it is portraying so much abuse, especially the abuse of women. And that, to me, was very, very sad that the communication between the parents and the kids is so closed down. 
Yes, and I think that happens often because, as you said earlier, just parents are so busy working, they don't get a chance to just even hang out in their teenager's room sometime at night to see what their world is like. I oftentimes tell parents that, um, remember, your teenager does want to hear things from you, and if you do not talk to them about it, the teens will know that you're not talking because you're uncomfortable, and therefore they're not going to bring it up with you, and the distance between you grows. Well, you know, something you brought out in your book, and I thought, oh, that's an aha moment, was that many parents have said to you, well, if if my kids want to know about it, they'll ask me. And the actual, the opposite is absolutely true. Yes. Most teenagers, most preteens are just a little bit nervous about this topic because of how they've been sexualized, and the parents are a little bit nervous about it, too. So they give off a little bit of those subtle messages, those, you know, the body language, so that they're a little bit nervous themselves about it. So kids are very intuitive. They're very perceptive about how their parents feel. If they're nervous about something, they're going to avoid it also. You wrote in your book that it's estimated that approximately 22% of of boys under 18 have experienced some sort of sexual abuse, and the majority of that goes unreported. And for girls, it's three times higher than that. What is has this been something? Has sexual abuse always been going on, and we're hearing about it more, or is this again a repercussion from all the sexualization of the media, and the kids are just experimenting more in inappropriate ways? It really is a combination of both, because sexual abuse has been going on for a long, long time, and it really was treated as a hush-hush topic many, many years ago. It's becoming more open now, and that's why we get some of these studies that show us how many kids are really affected negatively by sexual uh, behavior. However, um, oftentimes kids, too, are just so embarrassed by something like this, and they feel, as most kids do, that if something went wrong, it's their fault somehow. So that's what also makes them just keep that private into themselves and just hope and But then what happens, it appears, is that it just history repeats itself. The, the behavior continues. You had just such a, a sad story in here of a young boy who was sexually abused by one of his brother's friends, an older friend. And as, as that older friend got older, he kept abusing more little boys until he finally ended up in prison over it. But what was, I found really horrifying is that the child that was abused started to abuse little kids himself. Yes. And there so is it, it just, it, what is the, what's the thought process behind that? Is that a, a power thing? Is it, um, is it a psychological? Is it because he didn't get help when he needed it? Well, it's a combination of the two things you mentioned. One, that he's got this hurt going on himself. He's got this bad experience that he's just holding inside of himself. He did not get help. And he is wants to somehow compensate for that. So oftentimes boys especially will do something mean to someone else to kind of get that control back or that feeling of power. However, once those kids are in therapy, once they get through some of their own victim of feelings, they can pull away from that need or that drive to get control in a negative way over somebody else, and then the pattern is stopped. So therapy is actually really the key to to stopping that behavior, but more importantly is getting parents involved in the kids' lives and really monitoring what they're watching, what they're reading, what um, how they're interacting because they're verbalizing things in such a negative way. I mean, even the put-downs that they say to people can really have a negative effect on other uh, adolescents, you know, and they're doing so much bullying on the Internet now. They've all call somebody gay or, you know, they'll, they'll do kinds of, of, um, of verbiage that is inaccurate because they don't even know what they're saying so often. Yes, that's right. And when it's bombarding our kids like that, it really does have a negative effect on them. A lot of the parents that I work with, I always tell them, remember, you have the ability and the influence to really guide your teenagers in positive ways. They just need you to keep trying, listen to them when they talk, listen more than you ask questions, those sorts of coming forward and reaching out to your teen is a very caring response to them, and it makes teenagers feel good, and it gives them the strength oftentimes to get through some of those negative things that are happening to them out in their schools or their communities. 
We're talking with J.E. Wright, known as Jim. His mm-hmm. book is The Sexualization of America's Kids and How to Stop It, and he's been a therapist for over 22 years working with families and teens. Something that I really appreciated in your book, because I thought how true this is, having raised uh, teenagers uh, myself and, and enjoyed the process, is even when they say they know something or that they don't want to hear it or don't talk to me, they really are listening. And so we have to keep those lines of communication open. We have to keep talking even when they don't, you know, they say that they don't want to know because they really are taking in some of that information. That's right. I often tell parents that when the teenager says that to you, remember, say, well, let me tell you what it meant when I was a teen. You tell me what it means nowadays because it might be a little bit different just to get that conversation, that open communication going forward. And I like that, the way you wrote in. You you have a lot of scenarios in here where I call them icebreakers, where you gave parents sort of a way to just bridge the topic so that they could could open it up with their teenager and ask them how they feel. But one of the underlying elements of having open communication was to really zip it and not be judgmental, to really listen, but uh, try as much as possible not to judge the kids because yeah. then they'll just clam up. Right, and I've told parents that sometimes when you talk to your teenager, they may say some things that sound a little bit outlandish to you. You just hold it, hold your tongue, and listen to them. If they say something that you're really concerned about, get back to them the next day on it, and you approach them and say, you know, that was a great talk I had with you. So you did say one thing I thought about, and I'm just wondering if you wanted to just hear what I had to say about that, because I wasn't sure if we're on the same page with that one. There's a lot of power that a parent has when they come back the next day to say something like that to their teenager. I, that, that to me is great because, first of all, it it is extending the lines of communication to another day, which the more that you talk, the more you will talk, the better your bonds will become. So if you can continue keeping that conversation up, the kids are going to be at least more open with you and just sort of start feeling like, hey, he, you know, mom or dad are okay. We can talk to them. Yes. Now, what about, uh, you know, it just always amazes me how on television today, I mean, it, everything is so explicit. And that is one of the sad things is that children aren't learning values. They're not really learning about their bodies and, and the sacredness of it because everything's okay on TV. It lasts for a minute. You know, there's hookups and this, that, and the other thing. And everybody, it always ends fine, it seems. What can we as parents do? Do we need to sit and watch with our kids? Do we just need to monitor that more, talk about it more? What's your opinion here? Well, I think it's important to talk about that more, to actually say to your teenager, you know, when we watch that show tonight, it seemed to me that that was a little bit of an unhealthy, uncaring connection they had. But that earlier part of the show, that seemed caring to me, like those two people really loved each other. Because one thing that a parent can do by talking about these differences is really open up that deeper relationship side of things to their teenager, where instead of all of that superficial, shallow stuff that they see. And when parents can talk about that, and even if a parent feels comfortable to say, you know, when I was your age, there was this boy that kept wanting to go out with me. When I finally went out with him, then he was very into wanting to touch me a lot. And I thought, you know what, I just don't trust him yet. And I held back, and I felt bad in one way, but I felt happy that I held back. Does that ever happen in your school? Have you ever heard about things like that? Because the real key is trust in a relationship. The sex is kind of a secondary thing. Just to talk like that and be open is a very eye-opening thing for a teenager to hear their parents talk like that. Yeah, and you know what you just said is very important, too, is that also as parents we need to set an example of what a loving relationship looks like because it is just so easy, especially, you know, so many men have all different kinds of magazines around or, uh, or you know, some kind of pornography. And when that's in the home, that really does do damage to children's self-image and especially to women's self-image, and it really hinders their development. So yeah. it's really up to the adults to set examples of, of how behavior, how appropriate behavior should be. You have a lot of examples in here, especially, in, and these were in married couples, et cetera, where, for example, the dad, when it would just be he and his son together, 
would just engage in a lot of put-downs of women or saying negative things. And so the young boy would grow up thinking it was okay because Dad did it. Yes. So I think what what I come from from your book, too, it's not only that we have to help the teens, we have to help ourselves. Yes, and that's why I always, oftentimes I end up doing some sex education with the families I work with, and I always make sure the dads are there. And one of the topics I discuss is what are some subtle things that you say that kind of put women down? And, boy, to have a father say an example that he's done that over the years or in the past is very helpful to a son to say, you know what? Saying it out loud right now, I don't feel good about that. That's a very powerful way for a father to come across to his son, so he gets some good modeling with that. And, of course, it's like we would mentioned earlier, teenagers will listen to what their parents say in their words, but they really also learn by modeling after them how they live in their actions. So that's very important, that how a husband treats his wife, how a wife treats her husband, that they're equal. They both have something to say about something, and they compromise to work something out. They don't intimidate. And that is that is a critical element. Again, that is the role modeling because, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, don't do as I say but do as I do kind of because we kids, we do, we do copy what we see that's being done as opposed to just um, following what somebody tells us to do. Mm-hmm. What about uh, hugs? You know, I, we're, I'm from a big huggy family and it's always for me i've just uh, i just uh, thrive on it i love you know hugging my kids and my parents we were always with everybody we're always really huggy but a lot of especially men don't feel it's appropriate to hug their sons or and i thought that in your book you came out with it and said you know it's this is a good thing to be demonstrative but again and to show that it's a healthy way yes and a lot of the dads i talk to will say well my son doesn't want me to hug him because he's embarrassed and i say then ask him where you can hug him in the house before he goes to bed at night but not in front of his friends but you hug him because one of the things i have found working with teenagers is that teens who do not receive physical affection from their parents throughout the teen years are more inclined to get their touch needs met from their peer group and sometimes that leads them to cross the line where they shouldn't and see that alone is such an, an important message that all parents need to hear because we we really want to protect our kids. I mean, I imagine that all parents would feel that way. And if we're not doing the job, somebody else is going to do it for us. And so that is uh, that is frightening. And I, I also think that what's going on so much in the junior highs and high school, there's so much peer pressure. So as uh, you talk about in the sexualization of America's kids and how to stop it, kids are bragging so much about what they did. And usually they haven't done half of what they've done. Yeah. Uh, what they've said they've done, but right. they want to brag about it. Yes, that's right. Well, let's give out your website. This is a wonderful book, and it's just filled with great examples of how we can parent our children well, how we can keep the communication open, and how we can really raise respectful uh, children to adulthood to have excellent relationships in which they will honor one another and the author is J.E. Wright, The Sexualization of America's Kids and How to Stop It. Would you give your website out, Jim? Sure. It's jimwrighttherapist.com. jimwrighttherapist.com, The Sexualization of America's Kids and How to Stop It. Thank you so much, Jim, for all these tips and for writing this book. This really needs to be part of the sexual education and should be in the home. Start early. Yeah, thank, thank you, for you having so me. much for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. When we come back, we are going to be going across the border and back again. We have Helen Thorpe, author of Just Like Us, The True Story of Four Mexican Girls Coming of Age in America, Living in Denver, Colorado. It is a very heartfelt story. Stay with us. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. 
rush, 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 rush. It seems to be the order of our fast-paced culture. But in order to be successful in business, we must be healthy, and we must feel like actually working. So here are a couple of tips to help you face your work life with vigor and enthusiasm. Take mental relaxation breaks by taking a brisk walk outside, preferably where you get a great view of nature and some fresh air. Laugh away your problems by renting a humorous video. Enjoy a siesta instead of just a heavy lunch. Try eating a delicious tropical fruit or go dancing on Saturday night. Have your teeth cleaned. Get a therapeutic massage. Learn to love water and drink lots of it. Have a cup of tea with honey and lemon. Control your anger and stop procrastinating. Every tiny thing you do for yourself is going to improve your overall outlook on life. I mean, look on the bright side. Even on cloudy days, a positive attitude will lower your anxiety and increase your health. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style Productions. For life success coaching, call to make an appointment, 925-377-STAR, or visit star-style.com. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. I appreciate you being here with us on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and listen and bring you the authors with the answers. Well, immigration controls and laws are a subject that garners immense controversy these days. Helen Thorpe is a freelance writer who has written for many magazines and the New York Times magazine as well. Her focus has been politics and culture. Her first book is called Just Like Us. It is the true story of four Mexican girls coming of age in America. Welcome, Helen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Well, you know, this is such an interesting, fascinating book and very apropos for the times that we're in right now. You yourself uh, were an immigrant. Your parents were born in Ireland, emigrated to England for work uh, where you were born. And then when you were just, I think it was one, you came yeah. to the United States. So you know what it's like <laughs> to be an immigrant, although your experience, maybe as an Anglo, was quite different than the four girls that you followed in this book. Tell us a little bit about your journey, and then what was the intrigue that you had to follow these young ladies? Sure. You know, I think at the beginning of this project, I did have a sense that um, the immigrant experience was a kind of a shared experience and that I knew it, and therefore I would be able to relate to these young women. And 
definitely over time as I really got to know these four young women, what I grew to appreciate was how different our immigrant experiences were and how, um, for example, my parents arrived in this country speaking English as their first language already. Uh, their parents arrived, you know, speaking Spanish. That's just one of many differences. Um, so, you know, my journey, my parents got to this country in um, 1966 when I was one, and I had a green card, and I grew up really knowing only this country as uh, my, the only country I could remember as my own. But I always had this green card and knew that I wasn't really um, a U.S. citizen like my siblings. Um, and that's often um, the kind of situation you see in immigrant families in the, in the lives of the girls that I wrote about. The eldest children were the ones born somewhere else, like me, and then the younger siblings were typically um, U.S. born. And um, you know that what's interesting about the, what is interesting and sad at the same time is if the families, and we're talking specifically, I'm talking specific, specifically now of these Mexican girls and their families, if their mother, for example, was here illegally, she could be deported. Yeah. And so some of these kids were growing up without their parents because they were American citizens, but their parents aren't. Right. And that actually, a circumstance very similar to that happened to one of the young women that I was writing about during her freshman year of college. So she, um, her, it, I changed the names of all the students. The name she chose to be called was Yadira, but right. uh, she was in her freshman year of college when her mother was arrested. And um, through a complicated set of circumstances, her mother ended up deciding to flee the country. She was actually, her, the student's mother was pregnant with another baby at the time, and she didn't want to give birth in jail. She chose to not stand trial but flee back to Mexico. And Yadira never saw her mother again. So. She ended up raising some of her younger siblings while going to college at the same time. It was pretty tough. That, you know, that story broke my heart, yeah. especially when at the end when she was having a hard time and she was thinking she had that epiphany that she wanted to go to Mexico to see her mother. Yeah. Um, but her mother didn't want her to come because of the whole citizenship thing. I think Yadira was always searching for wholeness, and she finally thought, well, maybe if I go back to Mexico, the country of my birth, a country where I would have legal status, I could see my mother again, and I could feel um, like a legal person, and that would, that would improve my life. And she really thought that might be the answer to her problems. And her mother said, essentially, no way, don't you dare. I have worked so hard to set you up with the life that you have in the United States, and it's so much better than what you could find here. Don't come. I know, and that had to be just really emotionally for a mother to say, yeah. Well, you know, let's talk about the four girls, and I, uh, again, the names are changed, but we'll use the names in uh, in your uh, book because right. they're very different. They're all very, very individuals, and what really brought them together, it seems, was the fact that they had America, uh, a Mexican heritage. Two of them were legal. Two of them were illegal, and you know, one, one, uh, uh, Mauricia was the big party girl, yeah. and, um, and it, it just seemed that, you know, was it Clara that was so shy? There was, you know, they had all these different aspects, but what really bonded them was this desire, I guess, to be here and be in America, but still retain their Mexicanness. Right. And, and to succeed and to, to sort of fulfill dreams of achieving a professional life. They all shared that. You're right. I thought the beauty of – I was actually looking for one student to write about, but the beauty of accidentally stumbling across these four girls was that no one of them had to stand for what it's like to be Mexican in the United States or what it's like to have Mexican parents or what it's like to come of age under the circumstances they faced. And you're right. They were so different. Um, Marticella is incredibly talkative, gregarious, outgoing. Yadira is quiet. <laughs> Clara is very religious, goes to church all the time. Um, and Alyssa is kind of like a jock and into sports. I mean, you couldn't find four more different characters, and yet they've grown up together, sleeping over at each other's houses. They do everything together. Well, and that's and, where... You, know, you started off the book with the prom. Yeah. And what I found that was really intriguing to me was here was how they couldn't quite tell their parents about American prom. I mean, the dad <laughs> wanted to go with um, 
Marissa to the prom and, I mean, be there to kind of be her chaperone. Right. And, of course, she was taking a, a boy that was coming in from Arizona, this Fernando, who had been, she'd been for, for, forbidden to be seen with. And so what came across was that very tight family unit, that protective unit that is definitely part of the Mexican heritage that she wanted nothing to do with that. She wanted that part of her life to be more American, but, you know, the family doesn't understand how it's all going down, and they just want their little girl to be happy and safe. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. So, so Maricela is happy to go dancing with her parents at clubs when they're Mexican clubs, because she knows that that's the Mexican way, that, you know, it's, it's intergenerational, everybody loves to dance, you know, your parents will be there to watch over you. And but when it comes Mexican to the music, senior prom, right? she really wants to have that American experience. Yes. Yeah. And she really, she, it was that, that was the girl that she really loved Mexican music. In fact, she wished that they played more of it. Right. She was at the dances. Right. So she seemed to me to be, to me, the one that kind of had the had her foot in both cultures. She did. And, and didn't really know which torn. one. She kind of wanted both, I think. Right, she did. She really wanted to be both to the hilt, which is a, a tough act. <laughs> um, towards the end of your book, I want to talk about your husband being the mayor of Denver and this whole battle that started. I mean, that I'm sure you didn't expect this when you started writing. I didn't. I don't think they teach you in journalism school what to what to do under these particular circumstances because it was kind of, you know, unfathomable that such a set of circumstances would come about. Yeah, well, go ahead. Just go ahead and tell us a little bit. Let's talk about this now, and then we'll, we'll talk about citizenship right after it. Yeah, I had spent at, at this point in time a couple of years uh, reporting on the lives of these four young women, and I was pretty invested in the idea that I wanted to, to do a big project with them. And right around that moment of time, there was a, a baptismal party held at a Mexican social hall here in Denver. Maricela and her family were invited. Her boyfriend went. Her cousins went. She ended up doing something else that night. But she certainly heard what happened at the party. Of course, an awful crime occurred at the party where a young man who couldn't control his temper took offense at something that police officers said, an interaction he had with two police officers. He went home, got a gun came back and shot the two police officers in the back, killing one of them. And that itself was awful enough and enough of a um, catastrophe to get the attention of all of Denver. But it got even worse when it was discovered that that young man was undocumented, had presented fake papers, had gotten a job at a restaurant in Denver that was owned in part by my husband, the mayor. So... It was just um, kind of a How did you deal with it? How, how did you personally deal with this? You know, I, what I did actually at the time was think that I, I couldn't possibly write about the subject of immigration anymore. And I, I actually... But you had invested so much time yeah. in this. You were, you were part of it now. You were part of the story. I, and I stayed in touch with the young women, but I thought, well, I just won't write about them. And... Uh, it was, it was, I could not figure out what the right thing to do. I thought maybe I could write their story and not address the fact that that had occurred, but it was too big. It was too significant. It was, um, you just couldn't ignore it. Uh, I ultimately got to know the widow of the police officer who died, and she just turned out to be such an incredible human being. Um, she has an immigrant background. Her mother immigrated to this country from Great Britain. Uh, her husband, the police officer who died, turned out to have an immigrant background and to have grown up part of the time in a Spanish-speaking household during his youth. So what she told me about their family ultimately to me seemed like a, a, an incredibly important part of the story. And I ended up writing about the police officer's widow and her background and her husband quite a bit in the book as well. You know, and this is what gives it, I think, such um makes it come so true. It's such a poignant message because the reality is here in America, at one time or another, we are all immigrants. We have all come from, from an immigrant family. Yeah. So what does the future hold? I mean, reading the book, we're talking to author Helen Thorpe. Her book is just like us, and she wrote about four Mexican girls who are just coming of age in America and how they 
go to finish high school and then go on to college and then get jobs and some go to graduate schools. But the struggles that they went through and not being able to get scholarships or not being able to get a driver's license, you know, I never really, until I read your book, I never really stopped to think about the issues that, quote-unquote, illegals have to face just every day to survive. I also learned um, I knew about some of the big hurdles that you've mentioned, like college, you know, that, that finding funding would be tough. But it was kind of the mundane issues that they face every day, as you were just mentioning, that really um, kind of drove home what the experience is like for me and that were a surprise for me. Like, I didn't know if you don't have a driver's license, of course, so many other things in our society become difficult. You can't cash a check. You can't cash a check, hard to, um, can't get a credit card in your own name. Hard to uh, rent a movie from Blockbusters because they'll ask you for a driver's license as an ID. Hard to get into a, a nightclub. Hard to uh, go buy liquor, even if you're of age. So, um, I mean, they had to create. These girls were, had all these fake IDs yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so it almost encourages you to be underground. Right. So what's the future? I mean, what do you think? What came, what, after writing this book and now having the book out there and having been through the embroilment that you went through with this terrible murder. Uh, what, what do you feel the future is? How are we as a nation going to address immigration, and how can we help? I mean, what can we do? You know, I have learned when I go around speaking about the book, I've stumbled across something that I didn't understand. So when I talk about the book, all the time somebody will ask a question during a Q&A, well, how can, how can the two undocumented girls become legal? And the majority of the audiences I talk to think there's a way. They actually believe that this country is very friendly to immigrants. Surely these young women just haven't filled out the right forms. So I've stumbled across the fact that there's a great sentiment in this country that immigrants should have a path to citizenship. Most people just think it exists already. They don't understand that our current law says if your parents brought you here the wrong way or if, your parent, if you came without the right documents to come in, crossed our borders illegally, you may not change your status, you may not become legal under any circumstances, really, without, un, un, unless you're willing to leave the country, go back to your country of origin and apply from there. And most of these immigrants who have found a better life here economically are not willing to make that sacrifice and go back home. Mm-hmm. So I think if people really understand, if the majority of people in this country really come to understand there is no path to citizenship, I think there will be greater public sentiment saying, well, we should, we should make that possible. Maybe people who uh, entered the country illegally should pay a penalty or get at the back of the line behind people who've done it the right way. But most but people... there should be a way. Yeah, most people would support the idea that they should be able to change their status. Well, and the thing about that, if you are born here, so if you sneak across the border or get in some way and you get, you're get born here, then you have it. It doesn't quite make sense if you've made a good life here and you're a good person and, you know, you're contributing to society that you cannot get the papers. So I'm so glad that you wrote the book, that you're bringing this to the awareness of the general public. Thank the book you. is just like us. The author is Helen Thorpe. It's the true story of four Mexican girls coming of age in America. Your website is HelenThorpe.com. Is that yes. correct? That's correct. HelenThorpe, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. Helen, thank you so much for coming on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Best of success to you with this book. And thank you continuing so the message of these young girls and their struggle for citizenship and just to be, just to have a regular life here in America. It's a, it's a brilliant book. Thank you so much. Really a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. And thank all of you for being great listeners. It is a pleasure to have you with us every single week on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we bring you the authors and experts that should help you live a more expanded and happy life. I'm Cynthia Bryan. For more information on the charity, visit bethestarur.org. And get involved, make a difference, love someone this week, and have a terrific day. Until we celebrate next week, be the star you are. Thanks for joining me.
Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker.